Hi, everybody. I'm Miriam. I'm a compulsive overeater. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm trying, you know, I can get conflicted with um, ego, <laughs> no ego, ego, no ego. And um, I will say this, you know, every time I speak, I'm like, you know, why me? Why have I been given this gift? And, you know, that you see so many of us who, who don't get it, who don't stay. And my sponsor would say to me in the early stages and the women, the ladies who would put me in, in, in my place, they'd say, you know, Miriam, long-term abstinence is but a small statistic. We are a small statistic. Don't forget that. And I needed to hear that because in my mind, I'd go, well, I need to be one of those statistics. I need to stay. I can't afford to leave. I have to stay. And, and I wanted this for dear life. And I grew up as we all did with, uh, this disease and the food really surfaced hard for me. And I don't know whether it was because I was just an addict or whether it was my environment or both, you know, um, from nine to 11, I, I wasn't fat, although I thought I was. And then from 11 years old on game on. And I just, and it was just horrible, horrible, horrible hell diets, therapists, adolescent weight loss programs, you know, hospitals, doctors, as I read this morning in one of our meditations, I was such an angry person. And I remember going to doctors and they would say, okay, Miriam, you need to lose weight. And, and one of the doctors was a relative, by the way, and Miriam, you need to lose weight. You need to lose weight. Okay. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to this time, this time, this time, this time, I'm going to do it. After a certain period of time, I knew this time it wasn't going to work. <laughs> And, um, but I had such separation from everybody and everything. And, and part of it was with these doctors was the more they tried to fix me, the more my parents tried to fix me, the more I was like, you don't understand. You don't understand. Nobody understands. Nobody gets this. Nobody gets this. And my, and I say, this is part of my story. You know, my mom said to me, why don't you try OA? And I was like, OA, no, thank you. That is not some commercial diet, whatever. And, and I say this, and this is part of my thing. You know, I had to get from A to B, to get from B to C, to get from C to D, to finally surrender everything and be skyrocketed into that fourth dimension. But I had to hang out here. But I'll tell you, when I, I had a moment where I was willing to go to OA, and, and I sat in that Darby office and, um, and, and in my heart of hearts, I knew this was where it was at. I knew that I knew that there was nowhere else to go. And everything in me said the running, the chasing, the trying stops here. And what kept me here was you guys, all of us knew the language of one alcoholic talking to another one compulsive overeater talking to another. And for the first time in my life, I felt like these people get it. These people know what it's like. These people know what it's like to say, I'm not going to eat that. And then two minutes later, having to eat it, whether I wanted to or not, they knew that. And, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'm going to you know, go forward a little bit with the whole Zoom thing. I got to be honest with you, during this whole pandemic, you know, and I heard this from Clancy because I'm an alcoholic with food. 
I, that is my nature. It's who I am. They told me from the beginning, replace the word al alcoholic with compulsive overeater in the big book. And that, and I did. And I studied this for dear life when I was 18, because I knew this is what I am. This is what I am. And, um, and Clancy talks about this too. He says, um, he just died. He says that and he was an AA. He says that um, we as alcoholics, compulsive overeaters, if you do believe that you're an addict with food, you are the alcoholic type with food. You can't stop eating that we have a natural tendency to isolate, to push ourselves away, to pull apart, to alienate ourselves. See, and I know that in my heart. I don't know why I know that in my heart. So in my heart, I know I've got to connect even harder. That has not always been so great during these Zooms, but I have really tried to connect on a hard, hard, hard level because I know that's the answer. And I was reading this um, in AA Comes of Age. I've been reading um, about Bill and his story and how he needed to work with another alcoholic. But I just read this. I said, God, guide me. Show me what you want me to say this morning. And he talks about the Oxford group. And, and the reason why I've been st not studying, but trying to be as connected as I can be with AA, you know, the, the principles of AA led to Roseanne one day saying, okay, it's the same thing for people with food. Let's try it. And I knew, I forget, I knew Roseanne, like I hung out with Roseanne. I never talk about this, but I knew her and, um, and thank God she got that. Thank God we have this. And it talks about this with the Oxford groups and the Oxford groups was the group of, you know, some of you know this, you know, they're the people that Ebby, Ebby was Bill's friend. Ebby um, had this light all of a sudden, he got religion, he had the Oxford groups. And Bill said to Ebby, what is it that you're doing? Cause you're not drinking, but you're, you're, gl you're glowing, you're shining. And, um, and so the two of them got together and Bill drank. He continued to drink for a little while after seeing Ebby until he finally realized he's got to work with another alcoholic to keep this thing. And this is the development of AA, but this is the Oxford group. So the Oxford group is where this kind of stemmed from. It says here, the Oxford groupers had clearly shown us what to do. And not as importantly, we had also learned from them what not to do as far as alcoholics, me, are concerned. We had found that certain of their ideas and attitudes simply could not be sold to alcoholics. They had to be led, not pushed. See, when I came here, they told me, Miriam, this is your program. And, and nobody made me do anything. Nobody said, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. I hung out for six years doing the best I could, right? And I, I learned about the steps, but I hadn't really worked them. In fact, those first six years, and I did the best I could. I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. We have to be ready. That's my experience in order to finally go, okay, what do I have to do? Something is wrong with me when it comes to food. I am not wired right when it comes to food, but I had to come to that conclusion myself. And then, you know, when I, and, and I came to OA with such a guard up, but I did the best I could for those six years. There was one gal, Jeannie, she's in Michigan now, hardcore, badass OA person. And I tried to get her to sponsor me for a year and I wasn't ready to surrender everything. And she said, Miriam, you're not ready. You need to go eat some more. You know what? I resented her for a year, but she was right. And you know what I did? I went to eat some more <laughs> until I finally surrendered everything and realized that I'm the problem. But I hadn't, I wouldn't have come to that conclusion unless someone said to me, you're not done. I didn't want my... <laughs> It's not that I didn't want holding my hand and saying, it's okay if you don't do these things. And that is perfectly fine. You know, your gig is your gig. 
I will know that when I surrendered and I was willing to do anything and I looked at it like cancer and it, it, and how weird is this? I was not, you know, the other day I was reading in here, AA comes of age and he talks about how Bill saw this as cancer. And it's like, oh my God, this must be, I got it from somewhere. But this disease is like this. You know, if, if, if someone said to me, Miriam, you have cancer and it's not gonna look too good for the next five years. However, this kind of cancer, if you do these things, it could regress. It could even go away. And you could have a good life for another 20, 30 years, but you have to do these things. I would be like, sign me up. I'll do whatever it takes. And that's what I did. But you know what? I wasn't willing to listen to anybody until I was willing to listen. I came here and, and it's an ongoing joke with my husband. When we were first dating, he would say to me, well, this is what you got to do. And my thing was like, don't tell me what I got. Nobody tells me what I got to do. <laughs> Nobody's telling this. No, no, no. But you know, now, 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 I, now, because I'm an addict and because my life has continued to get better one day at a time, I am bendable. I am willing to listen. I am willing to learn. And it started really with wanting to be out of the hell of compulsive overeating. And I'll tell you, when Roseanne knew what this disease was, when the people in these rooms, knew, and, and they knew, see, it's not just a diet. And I was never one of those people that could be on a diet and lose the weight. I was never, I never lost the weight. I was always fat and then fatter and then fatter and then fatter until I got here. And even then I stopped gaining weight. I did three binges a day those first six years. And that was the best I can do until I realized, you know, it's in here. That's the problem. And I need to surrender my thinking and my diseased mind because my diseased mind is the problem. But I wasn't willing to listen until I was willing to listen. Right. So really, it's about one alcoholic helping another. And I'll have to say that with the Zooms. You know, I, I am going to speak from my, my experience. It has been hard for me to connect and I work very hard. I work even harder to connect. I'm, I'm of a lot of service because I was so scared when all this began that I would lose my recovery. I got abstinent here in LA in Studio City. November 1st, 1998 is my abstinent date. I'm 45 pounds away from my top weight. I'd be well over 200 with losing limbs and my eyesight. I'd be dead. I wouldn't be sitting here in a hotel room with my kids in the room adjacent to me and my husband adjacent to me so that I can share here because they, my husband knows, he, they know that this, this program comes first above everything. I live and breathe this program. And it's not like it's such an inconvenience. The truth is, I see life through the eyes of this program because that's what I've learned here. But believe me, it's a struggle when it comes to feeling connected through the Zooms. I'd go to the Saturday morning and the Sunday morning meeting religiously every weekend. I'd go to a couple meetings during the week. It wasn't like that in the beginning. In the beginning, I was crazy. I was a drug addict coming off of drugs for that first year. So when I see people with chips and they've got 60 days and 90 days and they're like, oh, I'm great, everything's great. I was crying at the microphones going, I was so scared of losing this thing for dear life. And when people would joke about binging and be like, oh, ha, ha, well, you know, I had sugar last night and, oh, you know, it's a, I would freak out because I would say, I was so scared of going back that I held on to this for dear life my, that first year. And my, grand, my, my grand sponsor's sponsor, 
She would say to me, Miriam, I don't care what anybody says, you're no longer new after five years. And because, and she wasn't there to like sell me. I called her every day and I would listen to her. And my grand sponsor, I still call her to this day. I talked to my sponsor, she moved. I talked to her three to four times a week. We meet on occasion when she's out here, but I will listen to them. I will do what they tell me. I will not question it one iota because you know why? It works. But I'll tell you when that therapist who I went to see before I got abstinent wanted to fix me, when that doctor, that doctor, that doctor, you know, and I just had a couple Snickers bars before I went to go That's get weighed by, yeah, by one of the doctors, you know, F you, no way, dude. So when I come to OA, and really our common welfare should come first. And all these Zooms are happening. You know, I get, I get, I get angry during the Zoom sometimes. And you know why? Because I want to connect even harder. It's hard for me sometimes to sit in the Zooms. I will go to live AA meetings sometimes because I just need the people. I need the people. And, and it's really, you know, I need that unity of the rooms. I need the unity of the fellowship with these Zooms. And especially when they get bigger and bigger and bigger, I get annoyed a little more because I want to connect even harder. You know, I can, I can disconnect very easily, but what saves me is that, you know what, my life depends on this. And it says that somewhere in one of the books, I've been reading the books a lot in AA, you know, our common, our common welfare should come first. So principles before personalities, you know, if someone does something that upsets me, there's somebody in the rooms I've been writing resentments about over and over and over and over and over again. Some of you in this very room know what I'm talking about. And I just keep doing it because why? My common welfare, our common welfare comes first. This is what it's all about principles before personalities. And because they knew it's a life, it's a life or death thing. It's really a life or death thing. If I don't keep working this program for dear life, my mind will start working again in high gear without any guard against it. And this disease is my mind and I'm very susceptible to outside stuff. I am, I may always be, you know, and because of this program, I can kind of stand back and kind of, you know, go, oh, there it goes again. I can laugh at it you know, and go up, oh, there I go again. And I don't have to act on it or eat over it, you know? And the fact that we're here, I mean, my kids, my husband, they're normal eaters, you know? They know mommy eats differently. That's pretty much as far as it goes. <laughs> and my parents are actually eating the way mommy eats now, which is kind of ironic. It's, but I, I do the OA thing first. I wouldn't have been willing to listen to anybody except people in these rooms. And I knew this was a life or, life or death thing. Nobody asked me for money when I came here. Nobody told me I had to be a certain way or do a certain thing. No one preached at me. People said, oh, honey, just keep coming back and don't leave before the miracle happens. And you'll get it when you get it. And I wanted this so badly, but I really didn't know how to do it until I was so in so much pain by my own accord that I was willing to shut up and listen. And when I got my sponsor, I did everything she said. I never argued with her. I wanted to save my life. And I knew this was a life or death thing. I didn't want to be out of the hell. Okay. I didn't want to be out of the, I wanted to be out of that hell. And that's all I wanted. If we keep doing this, we put the food down. And by putting the food down for me, it's those trigger foods that get me. So for me, it's foods with sugar in it, foods with bread. I eat mostly vegetables, fruits, and um, 
proteins. I was told by my sponsor my first year to write down my food and call it into her every morning and be honest about it. And then over time it evolved. It was really about turning it over to somebody else because I'm the problem. I am what's got me into these rooms. I have to turn it over to somebody else or something else every day. I still do that every day, every morning I have my routine. I've learned everything here. I've learned here how to be who I am today. And, and really it's all God. It's, and I say God, you know why? Because food was my higher power. I might as well try something else that helps me. And if I'm going to, and I have no problem calling that God, you know, for me and, you know, your higher power is your own thing, but, and thank God for that. Right. Cause we are alcoholics with food and don't tell me I have to believe in something unless I want to myself. Don't tell me I have to do anything unless I want to myself. You people gave me that dignity of, of who I am. You let me be who I was. You didn't tell me I had to be anything differently. And for that, my life has evolved in love and in grace. And by the way, there are people here who laugh at me. I need to be laughed at like Miriam and Pearl and Craig and whoever else. Is, I don't see everybody else. You know, Tony, I laugh at her because I love the way she, I just love her with all my heart. And I love my sponsees. And I laugh at her in a good thing. She knows that. <laughs> and Eileen, there's just such, so much love here. And that's how we recover, you know. But don't tell me I have to recover. If you've got it, I want it. And I'm attracted to you because you've got the attraction. And lastly, I'm almost done. I learned here that we're an attraction. We don't have to promote this. We don't have to sell it. If we're abstinent, God will protect us and make us his attraction. And that's what I believe. God doesn't want me fat and miserable. God wants me to be an attraction to others. And when I'm healthy and feeling good and feeling like I look decent, I got my hair done for something else. I've gotten so many compliments on my hair, but it's, and it's really nice. But really, God makes us an attraction to those who are suffering. If you come here and you're suffering with food, we know what it's like to be in that hell. For me, nobody knew what it was like to be in that hell except the people here. And they didn't ask for my money. They didn't ask for anything except one alcoholic helping another, me helping others. And when I help others, I feel better. My self-esteem goes up when I'm doing esteemable acts. And, you know, people say the self-love thing, self-love, self-love. Yes, that's part of it too. But by being of service, I feel better. And, and the gifts are immeasurable. And it just comes with shutting up and listening. And I get emotional. And thank you for asking me to be of service. Speaker, who is Craig? Hey everyone, I'm Craig. I'm a compulsive overeater. I want to thank Barbara. Thank you, Kristen, for what you what you're doing and uh, Joy. And thanks, Miriam. You're a tough act to follow, but you're as nuts as I am. So I'll see what I can do. Um, yes, I laugh at you, and you laugh at me. And um, I'm honored to be here. I see my, my previous sponsor, the one I have now, and um, very grateful she's here. Um, so tradition one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. <clears throat> the unity of Alcoholics Anonymous is the most cher cherished quality our society has. The unity of Alcoholics Anonymous Readers Anonymous is the most cherished quality our society has. It doesn't say it's a good thing. It's the most cherished quality our society has. Our lives, the lives of all to come, depend squarely upon it. 
we stay whole or AA dies. Without unity, the heart of AA would cease to beat. <clears throat> Our world arteries would no longer carry the life-giving grace of God. His gift to us would be spent aimlessly. Back again in their caves. Back again in their caves. Binging. Alcoholics would reproach us and say, what a great thing AA might have been. So, and the other piece I want to read is really simple. Page 17 in the big book where it says there's a solution. The first word is we. It doesn't say I of Alcoholics Anonymous. That'd be a very boring program. So um, there's a lot of people I know here. There's a lot of people I don't know here. And that's the whole, the crux of OA. So when I was asked to speak, it's the funniest thing. I was thinking of, uh, you know, I'm going to have to write a script. I'm going to have to plan what I have to say. This is really a freaking joke. That's like saying to you, I'm not going to binge tomorrow. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do tomorrow. But I do know that so far I have 11 hours, 57 minutes of abstinence. Right? That's it. West Coast, 11 hours. Now, I add to that 11 years. Okay? So I'm just... Um, October 17th, 2010, I came back. So this is progressive. I started in 1988. I was 199 pounds. I knew I'd never get to 200, so I went to OA. The very first meeting I went to, I was 12-step by a therapist. The first meeting I went to, um, it was very much a we and I asked her at the time, can I use your name? I don't know where she is today. This crazy woman came up to me, Lisa Joy, ran up to me, skinny, skinny woman, beautiful woman, gave me a big hug. And she goes, welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. We love you. And I thought, who is this flipping nutbag, right? And little did I know, it was an anorexic bulimic meeting. I didn't know what any of that meant besides Karen Carpenter. I, I'm a, I had no clue. I didn't need to know. And then in the corner... It was a dude like me, who's fat. And I use the word fat because i fat. And I ran over to him. So I stayed for the meeting and I saw him, but there are all these people and I listened to what I could hear. And I thought, wow, it's the same stuff I do. Hmm. And I got on a diet. I got a sponsor. I was on a food plan. I went to meetings. I read, but somebody would say, what, what step are you on? And I go, I don't know. Who are you sponsoring? I don't know. Uh, do you have a sponsor? Yeah. I, I had 11 years before I got to 167 pounds by being hip slick and cool. Cute. I was young, had brown hair. I still have hair. Thank you, God. Not everybody does um, at my age. Um, so I went out. I got too busy. I got a business, started making money. Um, money, property, and prestige. In my book, I wasn't rich. Most of it was on credit, but that's part of this disease for me is show. I want to show you how great I am. I want to show you all how good I am. So I got 11 years. Went out. Two years, three years, five years. And um, I came back and I, my last weighed weight was 272 pounds. So if any of you are out there thinking, I don't really need to go to that meeting today. 
I don't need to call my sponsor. I don't need to call my sponsee. I can go to that event instead of keeping a commitment. You may want to think twice. So all I can do is share experience, strength, and hope. That's all I can do. And that's what I do with my sponsees. And, um, you know, in for today, my writing today was, you know, share your shortcomings with your sponsees, share your shortcomings with those at meetings. And, um, you know, I could read you the litany and often with writing, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know if I can write on this. I could write on this. I got a lot of, I'm very scared. I'm a scared person. I want to impress you. I want to show you, it's really fun. I want to show you the house in the hills behind me, whereas it's the same apartment that I've had for over 20 years and I freaking love it, right? This is me, this is where I live. I'm very grateful. I'm grateful I didn't buy a piece of real estate because I would have lost it. When I lost my business due to obsession, and part of it that was compulsive overeating. So if you're new and you're wondering what the hell this has to do with about, about the first compulsive bite, stay, you'll hear it elsewhere. So I came back in my driveway right behind me, pushing 300 pounds, almost 300 pounds in a little Mazda Miata. Okay. Not pretty. Not pretty. In my play car. And I knew I was dying physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I knew it. So they talk about the white light. We can get it quickly. We can get it slowly. Um, is it a spiritual awakening? Was it God? I don't know what it was, but I knew that I was so scared that I picked up the phone and I called a professional. I sought outside help. I went in the morning. He told me what to eat. I thought he was a nutbag. I called Adam S. And I said, you know, I got a food plan. Now, this is being in OA 20 years. I said, I got a food plan, but it's not OA approved. He said, what, what, where's a food plan of OA approved? What does that mean? And he said to me, was it your plan? I said, no. He goes, great, don't ask questions, goodbye. Prior to that, there was a time where I was sitting having breakfast with Adam, binging on pancakes when I had gone out. And I looked at him, I said, God, please stop me. And he looked at me, he goes, keep eating. I can't stop you. For which I was really pissed off at and it was all his fault, right? He was right, I had to do it. So I went, got the food plan, started losing weight very, very fast. And I don't know how long it was, but a few weeks, maybe three, four weeks later, somebody can tell me when it's like five or 10 minutes, that'd be great, thank you. Um, three or four weeks, I hadn't gone to a meeting. Nine minutes. Thank you so much. I hadn't gone to a meeting. And I, got, and I thought, oh, this is great. You're losing weight. What's going on with the rest of your life? I went back to a meeting. I went back to Studio City when it was on Borp Park. And I walked in, asked the scariest man in the room if he could be my sponsor. He said, great, let's get your food. I showed him what I had eaten, showed him what I was eating. He said, great, abstinent, willing to, willing to stick with it. I said, yeah, he goes, great, let's start working the steps. It's like, oh shit, now the work comes, right? Now the work comes. And our outsides, completely different, but he understood me. He understood that when I told him, and this is Overeaters Anonymous. So for me, I have to talk about food. This is not about alcoholics. This is not cocaine. This is not, this is food. And for me, 
When a box of donuts basically talks to me, we know we got some mental problems, right? When I'm eating a this that's enough for 12 and I'm eating it and I eat this much and I cannot stop, I do not have the power to stop not finishing the bag. I do not have the power to stop finishing the loaf and going for another and another and another and forgetting my business, forgetting my, my relationships, forgetting my family just for the food. It's, it's the same thing as cocaine for me. It really is. I've done coke. I did coke. I grew up in the valley, in the San Fernando Valley. My girlfriend was rich. She lived in Encino. Of course we did coke. I never did it with her. But the point of it is this. I could stop coke. I could stop alcohol. However, that leads to alcohol. My last sponsor asked me, this is what I heard, did alcohol ever get you away from God? I was like, of course. Great. Are you willing to give up alcohol? Okay. So I haven't had booze for, I don't know, six, seven years, and I don't miss it. But I could stop it. I could not stop food. Now, where does we come into unity? We comes into telling someone a secret that I don't think I should share with you. We're not talking food. We're talking fear of something that happened with childhood. How am I going to deal with a work situation? I can handle this. I'm fine. I can handle this bullshit. I can't. So I have to share it with my sponsor. My sponsor is not available. I share it with one of you. Because if I am angry, hungry, lonely, tired, fearful, you name it, I will eat if I don't get help with the situation. I will eat. Do I have another abstinence in me? I don't know. I have, I have no idea. I, I frankly don't want to try it. So what is unity? And I'm, I'm trying very hard to stick to unity. Last night, I had a fellow here for the first time since um, lockdown. It was exciting, it was exhilarating, it was emotional, it was fabulous, and it fucking scared me. And I think it's maybe scared that person too, because it's like, whoa, person, close, masked in my home? It was very strange, right? I wrote about it this morning. An outside person might say, why is he writing about somebody he had for dinner? Because it was anxiety provoking. And if I don't get that out, my oatmeal will be the package. It won't be the portion, right? Today, after this, I am going for to another fellow who's here <laughs> to his home for lunch. They're making me lunch and we're gonna go out driving, right? Newcomers going, yeah, what the hell does this have to do with food and not eating? This is fellowship. Is that five it? Five minutes. Five minutes, thank you yes. very much. Um, I can't do this thing alone, right? I have a position now, I have a professional position that was a total act of God. Some dude found me over a year ago, some guy from Texas who I've never met, some headhunter found me. At the same time, I had a business, successful business. Name was on the label, name was my nickname, my license plate frame. That was my life, you see, that was my life. That was my identity. And when I had to close those doors, I didn't know who I was. So a little over a year ago, some stranger found me and I'm in a position now that is the best job I've had in my life. 
Now, my will was I, had, I was about to go on the third interview of this big prestigious company with this big salary. They never called me back. How dare they never call me back? They don't know who they're losing. This, this, this recovered Buddha can bring so much to their multi-million dollar company. They don't know, how dare they, right? How dare they do that? What did I do? Talked about it, I wrote about it, I cried about it, I bitched about it, I talked to my sponsor till his ears were blue because it bothered me, because it was ego, right? So a few days later, I get a call from this guy. Fast forward, I have an unbelievable job today that I dearly love. So what do I do with that job? I take my lunch every day. Very rarely do I go out to lunch. And they've noticed I pretty much eat the same thing every day. There's just one or two people there. And they've asked me, wow, you don't eat X, Y, and Z? I go, no. If somebody asks me, the guy that I work with, I believe is one of us with different ramifications. Somebody asks me about it. I had a woman who worked for me. You've lost, you've lost a lot of weight. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, we've lost a lot of weight. Can you tell me how you did it? I thought work situation. I don't know. And I told her my food had changed and I go to meetings and she goes, no, really, I want to know what you do. And I said, well, I attend Overeaters Anonymous. She goes, oh, honey, those people are crazy. And I said, yeah, you're working for one. You're working for one. And um, today, what I do at work is what you've told me to do. I have a lot of wreckage in my past and jobs I've had. Thank you. And what I do today is when I see the angst, when I feel the angst and I want to judge, I want to criticize, I want to yell at, I want to screw up my job, I call one of you and go, Bleh! and I get it out. So I don't do it at work. So I don't get my ass fired. All right. Now. How does it take, how do we get it back to, what does this have to do with food? Um, I commit my food and I eat what I'm, I've committed. I have a bottom line abstinence. My number's on here. If anybody wants to know what I eat, I can tell them. Um, we don't need to get to specifics here, but I have a bottom line abstinence. I have a sober food plan. I know what I'm eating. I have three meals. I have two optional snacks. I take a picture of my food. I text it to my sponsor and to another fellow. That fellow was the one who said, I would never send my pictures of my food to anyone. And he was out, he was out for 12 years. Now he's back, I think he's got six months. And all I did, this is we, I said to him, I said, eh, send me a picture of what you're eating. I don't care what you're eating. This is when he wasn't absent, right? He sent it to me and I went and I sent him my food. Then I included my sponsor, it's we. Oh, here comes Marvin, sorry guys. <laughs> Hey, Mark. Um, I take this very seriously. This is life and death. And I will wrap it up with this. If you're going to eat in the middle of the night, if you're going to, if you feel like, like chatting with me at three, four in the morning, just wait till the morning, right? If you're going to eat at three or four o'clock in the morning, I invite you to call me because I'd rather you call me and wake me up than call me in the morning and say, oh, I binged last night, right? That is not unity. Unity is calling me and saying, I'm scared to death I'm going to eat. Let's do this together. 
So I really thank you for allowing me, hopefully, to be of service to at least one other person. Um, and have a enjoy the rest. Thank you. Thank you so much, Craig and Miriam, for sharing with us.